how much can we as a local church impact the communities around us? Uh, during the course of this year, we've been reminded a number of times what our church vision is, right? To be a spirit-filled, impactful church. But what is our impact to the communities around us? As others have uh, challenged the church in general, if our local church here will suddenly cease to exist, who would notice? Would anyone outside the church feel the impact of our absence? The stories of our early missionaries here in Penang and Southeast Asia can be an inspiration for us today. I know uh, there might be a number of you from MBS, but I want to just ask a quick poll, right? Um, is the name Paikert familiar to any one of you? Paikert? How many? How many? Paikert School? It's the school, right? Uh, you know, we have a school named Paikert previously. Um, we got a road uh, after Paikert as well. Uh, but um, he was a, actually an English missionary, Reverend George Paikert. Uh, he's a, he was an English missionary, came to Penang in um, 1892, and uh, in the following year, in uh, 1893, he became the principal of ACS school, Anglo-Chinese uh, school. Later on, that school became Methodist boys' school, basically. Um, and he was used by God to be a major force in Methodist education and missions uh, this, in this country. Uh, Pikett and the other pioneering missionaries had this vision of faith that God wanted the gospel of Jesus Christ to make a difference in the everyday lives of the people. They were the visionaries of faith that started something in faith no matter how big the challenges or the difficulties were. Actually, ACS, the school, Penang, was established in 1891 by another missionary, uh, Reverend Belderstone at Carnarvon Street. Uh, in uh, Georgetown, the heart of Georgetown, and they started with only a single student. In 1893, when Reverend Piker took over that school, the student population had grown to almost 200 students. By the time the school moved over to Maxwell Street, this is where Conta is today, um, their students numbered about 450 or so uh, students at that time. His wife, uh, Mrs. Piker, uh, she was a mis pioneering missionary in her own right, did a lot of work with the locals here. She became the principal of ACS Girls School, later on uh, becoming uh, MGS, uh, Methodist Girls School. And uh, this was, she became a principal before they were married, but uh, at that time when she became the principal, uh, they had a total student population of two, two students. At his memorial service, uh, this was said of Reverend Pikett. The monument to Mr. Pikett would not be in stone, not in building, but in the lives and the hearts of those who knew him and of those whom he influenced. He was a Christian first, and because he had a desire to follow Jesus Christ, that he gave his life to Malaya. What difference does the gospel of Jesus Christ, which we believe in, what difference does it make in the lives around us? In today's scripture passage, Jesus travels with his disciples to preach the good news of the kingdom in the villages and towns of the land of Israel. 
And for Jesus, there was an urgency to his mission to preach and teach the gospel. Because the gospel means good news that the people desperately needed to hear. Now, this good news is not just about a religious way of life that Jesus was trying to teach. This was about God coming to rescue his people, to save them, to heal them, to bring them into his kingdom, to give them a future and a hope. This was the harvest field of the kingdom. When the people hear and experience the good news of the kingdom and to be saved. Jesus calls on his disciples to pray, and Daniel brought us through that memory verse. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. The very next verse in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, we see that Jesus sends out his disciples into the harvest field in answer to that very prayer. And as Pastor Shen prayed earlier, uh, when we pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out workers, we have to be prepared to be sent out ourselves. And so our big idea for today is disciples are sent out to the harvest field of the kingdom. There are three areas for how we want to reflect today, how God prepares us for the harvest field of the kingdom. First, seeing the harvest. Uh, second, sent forth by prayer. And third, serving with God's authority. First, seeing the harvest, learning to see what Jesus sees. Uh, quite a number of years ago, I, I traveled a few times to um, developing or emerging countries for IT projects. Uh, one of the things about um, developing countries, and a lot of you here would have traveled to these countries as well, uh, is the jarring difference uh, between the rich the middle, the middle class and the poor. Uh, you could be in a comfortable, luxurious hotel, but the moment you step out into the streets, you find yourself surrounded by desperate poverty. I remember uh, traveling to one of these locations. Uh, we were moving in and out of customer locations, in and out of restaurants, walking on the streets, and you can be easily surrounded by street kids, right, begging for money and food. And, uh, you know, the local... The, the locals and the seasoned travelers will tell you, um, you know, they will often advise you, don't, you know, don't look at them, right? Don't, don't even try to uh, give them anything because uh, you'll be immediately swamped by many other kids who will be asking you for more. And in fact, uh, I was uh, with a group one time and uh, what, the group actually gave something to a child and sure enough, we were surrounded with so many others asking uh, for food and money. And so, practically, in those places, if you want to operate practically, you literally have to turn a blind eye to the poverty that you see around you. You cannot even look at them, right? You just, you just walk, through, walk through the streets, try not to um, kind of look at them, try not to think that they exist because the needs and the poverty around you was so overwhelming. This reminds me of how sometimes we might feel in church about the needs around us. Now, we might not be in a developing country or poor country. We don't have to be. But even in our local context, there are so many seemingly unsolvable needs around us, whether these are broken families, disadvantaged children, abused children, drug addicts, refugees. So many needs that we can feel paralyzed. 
And so our natural response could be to try not to think too much. Try not to see or be confronted with those needs. Not because we don't care, but because we feel totally helpless about what to do about it. As Jesus traveled through the villages and towns and saw the people, this is what he saw as Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 tells us. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus saw these conditions, he immediately knew that this was the harvest field of the kingdom. It's not just about poverty, it's not just about a, a social economic problem for Jesus. The main condition that Jesus saw was that the people were suffering under spiritual darkness and the oppression of a sin-infected sin world. The good news that Jesus preached was about God coming to rescue His people from the dark forces of sin and oppression, just as what God did many years previous under Moses when he delivered his people from slavery under Egypt. God's people found themselves enslaved by the powers of sin and oppression. And the gospel is that God is now saving them into his kingdom. But Jesus did not just preach the gospel, he demonstrated the reality of the kingdom as we see in Matthew chapter, three, uh, chapter 9 verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. The reality of sickness, of sin, of death, were symptoms that the people were under the powers of the evil one. That doesn't mean that they were necessarily all demonized or they were especially wicked, but that the people were held under bondage of these dark powers. And the kingdom of God means that God has come to reclaim His people, to rescue His people from these dark powers. In fact, this is how the apostle Peter uh, preached about Jesus, how, how he described the ministry of Jesus in Acts chapter 10, verse 38. How, Jesus, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good, healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. As we worship and sang earlier, the gospel is a matter of life and death. We are standing in a gap between the living and the dead. So the stakes are very high. This is not an uh, optional um, co-critical activity for the church. This is a matter of life and death. Now, because of the urgency of the gospel mission, Jesus calls on his disciples to see what he sees, to see how he sees. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, we read, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Instead of turning a blind eye, we have to learn to see what Jesus sees. We have to learn to see the harvest field that God has placed in front of us and around us. With our own eyes, with our own perspectives, 
we will only see human limitations. Uh, for example, I can't help them. Um, I can't possibly afford the time and the effort. It's none of my business anyway, etc. But when we see through the lens of Jesus, then we understand, we start to understand the depth of his compassion. We start to understand how Jesus sees them as harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, without a hope, without a future, without him. And so the first step in any movement or work is awareness. Awareness of mission, of purpose, of direction. God has placed each of us in a position to see the harvest field, the harvest field around us. It could be our family, it could be our extended family, it could be a neighborhood community you are part of, it could be a school community, it could be your workplace. In each of these contact points, there are people lost, helpless, harassed without a savior. Some of them could be rich financially, but lost and broken internally. Some of them may even have hurt you or offended you in some way. Some may look successful or content on the outside. But all of them, most of them, many of them, may be still lost without a saviour, without a sheep, without a shepherd. And God has placed each of us in a position to see this harvest field if we have the eyes of faith not to see with our human understanding or reasoning that there's nothing we can do about it, etc., but to see as Jesus sees, the harvest field that God desires to save into his kingdom. Now, there may be many needs around you, perhaps, but perhaps the Lord will show you one that he has specially prepared you for that the Lord might have specially shaped you for and prepared you for, for this one harvest field. Reverend Pikert could have started hospitals, he could have worked with governments, he could have done many areas of ministry, but the Lord led him to his harvest field, which is education. He saw education as the missional outreach of the church, and this was the one harvest field that God used him in an impactful way. And so in this coming week, I'd like to invite us to pray with the eyes of faith, to pray, Lord, what is the harvest field around me? Where have you placed me to make an impact? And when you pray and begin to open your heart to the Spirit's leading, you might feel an increased awareness that God has placed in your heart, right? Increased awareness about a particular community, prompting of the Spirit about God's heart for this particular community. Second, we are sent forth by prayer. Prayer is the basis of being sent forth out into the harvest. The great missionary to China, Hudson Taylor, is often attributed with this quote. When we work we work. When we pray, God works. The fact is that through ministry or any missions work, 
that bring about eternal impact is beyond our human ability. It can only be accomplished by God. It is God who must raise up and equip the workers for the harvest. And so as we saw our memory verse earlier, Matthew 9, 38, ask the Lord of the harvest therefore to send out workers into the harvest field, in his harvest field. There's also the, the urgency of the task ahead. In John chapter 4, verse 30, 35, Jesus tells his disciples, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until the harvest. This is a saying that says that, yeah, I mean, the, the harvest is still not yet, right? We still have a number of months to go. But Jesus says this, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. The harvest time is now. The harvest field is large, and the task is urgent. But praise God, we serve the Lord of the harvest who will raise up the workers for the work. We cannot work apart from God to achieve the work of God. And so persevering and consistent prayer has to be the foundation of impacting the community God has placed us in. Once the Lord reveals to us or convicts us about a particular harvest field, naturally we will feel overwhelmed, clueless about what needs to be done and how to go about it. But how does the Lord prepare us? How does He raise us and prepare us for the harvest field? Remember in John chapter 6, how a little boy presented five loaves and two fish to the Lord Jesus Christ, who used it to feed 5,000 men. Bring what you have and place it in the hands of our master. Jesus will take your offering and multiply it for the kingdom, for the kingdom work he has prepared for you. For example, let's just say that the Lord convicts you about refugee work, to, to minister to refugee families. Now, there are overwhelming needs in that community. Uh, just on financial needs alone, one remark I've heard about from those who have worked uh, with this, the refugees is that it is a bottomless pit, right? It's just a black hole. You, that you, there's no end uh, to the needs. There's so many other worries uh, around refugee families. Uh, how long will they be able to stay in the country? Will, be, will they be evicted uh, from their homes, uh, from the country? What about the future of their children? Uh, these are overwhelming problems which we do not have the answers. But you see, the thing that you need to re remember is that if God convicts you for that work, He does not require you to answer all these questions. He doesn't. You may just have a desire to teach kids English, and that's all you need to commit to for now. How many can you teach for now? Maybe a few. Maybe just only one. Start with that and commit to the Lord. ACS Penang started with one student. ACS Girls School started with two students. And today there are many generations of students and their families who have been blessed through the gates of what is to become Methodist Boys School and Methodist Girls School. Never underestimate or be discouraged by small beginnings. A man of the world would have told our early 
pioneering missionaries, wow, you, you left the, the comfort and security of your home, you came here all the way, you started a school, just one student? You left all of that for just one student. But a man, a woman of faith will see that one student and say, praise God for the sign of the harvest. And so start with what God has placed in you, your spiritual gifts, your talents, your abilities, and keep praying for the Lord to raise up others. Sometimes the Lord may require you to start alone by faith. Sometimes He'll raise up people to work with you as a team. But whether alone or as a team, keep praying for the Lord to raise up the workers for the harvest field. And keep yourself committed to a small group and the local church here because you're not meant to work alone. You, you come under the, the prayer covering and accountability with the local church community, with your community of faith, and not just as individual contributors. One other encouragement, even if you feel that you're working alone, and I'm sure Jaylee would often feel that she's working alone, uh, yeah, God is working even when you don't see it. God would likely have prepared the harvest field even before you stepped in. In John chapter 4, verse 38, G Jesus says this, uh, to this to his disciples, I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. I'm sure many of you would have experienced this. You, for example, you share the gospel with someone, and that person receives the message with faith. Now, it's often the case that the Lord has sent others in the past. The Lord might have touched the person in a certain way even before you started sharing the gospel. So even when we think that we are only a few or alone and can only do so much, we are reminded that God has raised and is raising others for the harvest field of the kingdom. In truth, we serve and minister in faith because we do not see the complete picture. Very often, we don't see the end goal. But out of our love for the Lord Jesus Christ, we avail ourselves to be sent out with much prayer and intercession. And so in this coming week, as you pray and sense God's calling for you for a particular harvest field, a particular area or community, that he has prepared for you, would you also commit to start praying for workers to be raised for the harvest field? As you pray this way, pray also for how God might use you in this mission field. To pray to the Lord of the harvest is also to be used by the Lord in the harvest. And third, serving with authority. We serve with authority when we live under authority. Now, what is authority? How does authority function? You take an example of a policeman, right? A policeman carries authority while he or she is on duty. Now, if a policeman comes to me and gives me an instruction 
I actually don't need to know his family background, his social status, his, whether he's capable or not. I don't really need to know. I just need to comply. Why? Because his, instru his instruction is backed up by the authority of the state. If I choose to disobey or fight the police, that policeman is authorized to take appropriate action to enforce the laws and order of, of the state. In fact, sometimes the police don't even need to say anything, right? If there's a group of policemen comes into the gambling den, what happens? Everybody disperses, makes way, right? The police carries authority invested by the state. Now, there's an incident in Matthew chapter 8 which teaches us about authority. Uh, this is where we read about the faith of the Roman centurion. This was a Roman officer. And um, he came to Jesus uh, to plead with Jesus uh, to heal his servant who was very sick or was um, uh, with an ailment. But the, well, Jesus kind of offered, um, you know, do you want me to come into your home and, and, and pray for your servant? But the Roman centurion understood the nature of Jesus' authority. And he said this in uh, Matthew 8, verse 8, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. So the Roman soldier, this Roman officer, this centurion, understood the nature of Jesus' authority. He understood the immense power that stood behind Jesus' word of command. He recognized that Jesus' words carried divine authority, and therefore physical distance was no barrier to the healing power of Jesus. In fact, the physical ailment, the sickness itself, will have to obey the authority of Jesus. But then the Roman centurion goes on to give this insight about authority in the next verse. He says, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. So he's under superior authority and he has others under his command. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. So the Roman sanctuary, being a military man, he understood the nature of authority. His ability to give orders and to be obeyed is solely because he himself is under authority. He answers to a higher authority. And this will be important when we look at how Jesus gives authority to his disciples later. Now, earlier we saw how Jesus uh, traveled through the towns and villages under, his, um, under the land of Israel, using his authority to declare that the kingdom of God has come, and by that same authority, healed every sickness and disease. So as we saw earlier, what is happening here? What is the relationship between the good news of the kingdom and the healing miracles, as well as the deliverance from evil spirits? As we saw earlier, the kingdom of God is not merely a set of religious teachings to teach us how to be good. It is about God exerting His authority and power to deliver the people from the powers of sin and death. Up to the time of Jesus, the powers of sin and darkness ruled the lives of men, kept the people in bondage. The kingdom of God is God acting to break this 
powers of darkness to save people so that they can live securely under his reign and authority. So when Jesus preached the good news of the kingdom, he also demonstrated the authority of the kingdom by casting out demons, healing the sick, and raising the dead. Right before their very eyes, the people saw the powers of sin and death broken by the coming of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God brings abundant life and righteousness where there were once sin and death. And here in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus starts to send out his disciples to preach the good news of the kingdom. Now, for the moment, Jesus restricts them to the geographic territory of Israel. But later on, Jesus would expand this to include all nations under the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. But here's the important point. In sending out his disciples, Jesus gives them authority to preach the good news and to demonstrate the kingdom in the same way Jesus had been doing all along. And so here in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus calls his 12 disciples to him, gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease and sickness. And so in Matthew chapter 10, uh, 7 to 8, this is where Jesus instructs his disciples, as you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God have come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead, cleanse, leprosy, drive out the demons. As we have learned from the Roman centurion, the only reason that disciples have this authority to demonstrate the works of the kingdom is because they are under the authority of Jesus. They can serve with authority against the powers of darkness only because they live under the authority of Jesus. In the same way, when Christ sends us out into the harvest field today, we can serve with authority only because we live under his authority. This authority is to be received with faith, with humility, with godly reverence, but we must serve with authority for the sake of the kingdom. When we serve with this authority, we will not be easily intimidated. We will not be easily discouraged with the scale of the problems we will encounter. So whether we are serving to help disadvantaged students, minister to the refugees, helping an elderly neighbor, visiting those who are ill, sick in hospital, remember who we are representing. As we serve in the harvest field, God is actively creating opportunities for a breakthrough where we can share the gospel and pray for healing and restoration with the authority of Christ. And so if the Lord so leads you, you know, for example, if you visit those who are ill, those in hospital, that 
can be intimidating, that comes, sometimes can be discouraging. But remember, you are there to represent a greater truth, that our God is a saving God in Christ. Our God is a healer who heals us spiritually, emotionally, and physically. These are, humanly speaking, impossible problems in our own lives, in the lives of those we are serving in the harvest field. But when we live under Christ's authority and serve with His authority, then the impossible becomes possible. Again, this is a, a quote from Hudson Taylor, and this is how he puts it. There are three stages to every great work of God. First, it is impossible, then it is difficult, then it is done. Are we ready to be sent out to serve with authority? And so in this coming week, pray that the Lord will show us the harvest field He has prepared for us. Pray for the workers to be raised and for ourselves to be sent. And pray for the Lord to teach us how to serve with His authority. And so in closing, I'd like to uh, pray for us now. If you are ready to commit to see the harvest field that God will show you, and I believe God will answer your prayer of commitment today and in the coming week, then this prayer is for you. I also believe that a number of you here are ready to operate with a greater measure of God's authority. Authority is to be exercised with faith, with humility, with godly reverence, but you are ready to receive a greater measure of the Lord's anointing, and I would like to pray for you as well. And so even as we present ourselves before the Lord, I invite you, if you are ready, to open your heart to the Spirit's leading and to make that declaration, that commitment of faith, that as you pray in the coming week, God might show you that harvest field He has prepared for you. Some of you already know that harvest field. We praise God. We pray for the increased measure of His blessing and anointing. But those of you who are open to see that harvest field, we pray in faith that God will show you in the coming week. Father, on our own strength, there's only me so much we can do. Oftentimes, we do not know what to do. And we feel that whatever we can do is not enough. But Lord, your word assures us that you are the Lord of the harvest. It is you who will raise us and equip us to be sent out into the harvest field. And so, Lord, we stand in your presence. We open our hearts to you that you will show us that harvest field, the lives around us, that we will see those 
who are harassed and helpless, lost without a shepherd. That you will fill us with the same compassion that filled the heart of Jesus when he saw the crowds. Father, we pray by faith that you will show us this harvest field. I pray, Lord, for those of us who are already in the harvest field. I pray, Lord, for a greater measure of your anointing, that we will persevere and not give up, that we will continue the work that you have entrusted to us. I pray for those of you, those of us here before the presence of the Lord, who are ready for a greater measure of anointing with His authority in the harvest field. Father, our strength is only so little. But Lord, we look to You. The problems we face and the problems we encounter in the harvest field is beyond us. But Lord, we pray by faith because Your Word says that You give authority to your disciples, Lord, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse leprosy, to drive out demons, to bring your life into the lives of those who are broken by sin. And so we pray humbly for that authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we will not fear the problems that we encounter, that we will not be overwhelmed with the scale of the problems we see because we know that we operate with the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so even as we open our hearts to you, Lord, we pray that you anoint us with the power of your Holy Spirit, that you will strengthen us with immeasurable power and strength by the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead that those around us will know the good news of the kingdom and will be able to experience the work of the kingdom for healing, for salvation, for deliverance. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.